worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. GX on Agriculture with Doug Falconer. Good afternoon and welcome to GX on Agriculture. Coming up on today's program, Saskatchewan Agriculture Minister David Merritt will join us. He has some concerns about Ottawa's consultation process on a sustainable agriculture strategy. We'll also hear from the Vice President of the Canadian Federation of Agriculture, Todd Lewis, who is hoping that uh, there will be some good input in provided into that federal study on the future of farming in Canada as the Canadian Federation of Agriculture is co-chairing that federal consultation process. The Canola Council of Canada held a webinar Friday to outline the benefits of the 4R Nutrient Stewardship Program. One of the guest speakers was Jason Castleman, an agronomy specialist with the Canola Council of Canada. He'll join us to provide some clarification on some other Prairie 4R programs as well as best management practices covered under the Canola 4R Advantage. And Farm Credit Canada's chief economist speculates interest rates have reached their peak after a series of hikes this year. J.P. Gervais will join us on today's program. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of GX on Agriculture. Beef and Forage Report. On today's Beef and Forage Report, we hear from Cassandra Schroeder, the Range Management Extension Specialist with the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture in Kindersley. She talks about perennial grasses. We might be in the heart of winter right now, and the grass is well below the snow, and they say, out of sight, out of mind. But let me bring grass back up to the top of your mind. Did you know that perennial grasses that dominate our rangelands and pastures are living and breathing, well, more technically respiring, even in the heart of winter? This is one of the many reasons why carried over at the end of the grazing season is important. Grasses need leftover energy to meet their maintenance requirements over the winter, plus enough to initiate new growth in the spring. A common analogy relating carryover to plant growth is that leftover leaf area is like a solar panel. If you have less plant material left, then you have less capacity to capture resources. For grasses, I also like to explain that if you graze the last few inches of the grass, the cows are also eating your batteries. This is because grasses actually store most of their energy reserves in the bottom couple inches of the leaves and stems. Most people don't realize this because they're thinking about common plants like, say, carrots that obviously store energy in their roots. But for most grasses, energy reserves or the battery of the plant is above the soil surface, kept inside the lower leaves and stems. This is why it's important to manage grazing intensity to maintain several inches of carryover. In addition to storing energy for the plant and capturing solar energy, residual leaves also help capture snow, which is insulation now, and moisture later. 
So remember, it takes grass to make grass. For more information on forage management, grazing plans, and other agriculture topics, contact your local Saskatchewan Agriculture Regional Office or call the Ag Knowledge Centre at 1-866-457-2377. And that's today's Beef and Forage Report. It's time now for the Ag Review portion of our program, and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. GX94 Ag Review. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is expected to travel to Mexico City for a North American Leaders Summit taking place January 10th. The annual Three Amigos meeting will see Trudeau sitting down with United States President Joe Biden and Mexican President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador. Trudeau's office says the meeting will focus on building the economies of the three countries, including increasing collaboration across the electric vehicle supply chain. The announcement came as the U.S. announced an expansion of its complaint about Canadian dairy quotas. U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai says in a statement that Canada has implemented new dairy policies that are inconsistent with the Canada-United States-Mexico Free Trade Agreement. Canadian Trade Minister Mary Ng said earlier this year that Canada takes its international obligations seriously and she was confident that Canada's policies comply with the agreement. Carry-out stocks of Canadian lentils could tighten to their smallest level in seven years by the end of the current 2022-23 marketing year, according to updated supply and demand estimates from Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada. While lentil production of 2.3 million metric tons was up by 44% from the drought-stricken 2021-22 crop, Expectations for increased export demand are forecasted to lead the carryout to tighten to only 100,000 metric tons. That would be down from 224,000 tons on July 31, 2022, and well off the five-year average of 520,000 metric tons. The stocks-to-use ratio for lentils is forecast at only 4%, which compares with 12% last year, and only slightly above the 3% stocks to use seen in 2015-16 when lentil ending stocks hit their low of the past decade of only 73,000 metric tons. Lentil exports in 2022-23 are forecast at 2.3 million metric tons, which would be up from 1.6 million the previous year. A North Dakota State University study suggests that some kochia populations in western North Dakota likely have developed resistance to commonly used pre-plant burndown herbicides. Sold under the trade names AIM and SHARPEN, Group 14 herbicides are used by farmers to control kochia and other annual weeds. In the study, a known susceptible kochia population was easily controlled by AIM and SHARPEN, However, AIM showed very little activity on four kochia populations from across western North Dakota. Sharpen caused some necrosis on kochia leaves and stunted growth, but most plants survived and had two to eight inches of regrowth two weeks after treatment. Brian Jenks, a weed scientist at the North Central Research Extension Center, says kochia has been difficult to control during the prolonged drought of the past several years. 
Another Fraser Valley farm has been struck with the highly contagious avian flu in a year of severe infection. The Canadian Food Inspection Agency says the virus was confirmed yesterday on a commercial poultry farm in Langley. More than two and a half million flocks have been infected this year in B.C. While the virus affects birds, there is no evidence it can be passed to humans who consume poultry products. One of the key stories to emerge this year was high food prices. But one of the basics to increase most significantly was bread, due in large part to high wheat prices. Aaron Gertsen, a senior economist with BMO Capital Markets, says wheat prices are based on supply and demand. He says the severe drought in 2021 reduced the supply of wheat in North America, while Russia's war in Ukraine slashed the amount of grain exported from Eastern Europe. Cereals Canada CEO Dean Dias says bread prices have also been affected by other rising costs in the supply chain, like labor, transportation, and energy. And that is the Ag Review portion of our program. Please stay tuned. GX and Agriculture will be back right after this. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. I'm Doug Falconer. We have light snow and minus 26 degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at 1 o'clock. A Saskatchewan farm leader is hoping producers will provide good input into a federal study on the future of farming in Canada. Todd Lewis of Gray is vice president of the Canadian Federation of Agriculture and a past president of Saskatchewan's general farm group, APAS. He says the Canadian Federation of Agriculture is co-chair of the federal consultation process on sustainability in farming. Well, I think, you know, we're happy to be at the table. Uh, you know, CFA are going to be co-chairs of the whole process along with the, the Department of Agriculture and we're for the ministry and we're, we're happy that, you know, there's a, there's a good representation at the table from uh, farm groups from across the country. So I think overall, uh, you know, it's set up that uh, hopefully farmers' views are going to be uh, taken into account and that we're going to, uh, you know, have some good work done and and be able to uh, have input on what the future of farming is going to hold for producers when it comes as far as sustainability. I think we've got a, a real good story to tell in agriculture really not only in Saskatchewan, but uh, across the country. And, and, you know, in many cases, we're world leaders with adoption of things like technology and genetics and both in our livestock and crops. And, and uh, so I think the industry is looking forward to uh, having some input on these decisions. He hopes the consultations won't result in top-down decisions from the federal government. That's why we're, we're hoping that with everybody at the table, you know, with a good representation like we have, that that won't happen. And, you know, I think that if we're, if the old saying goes, if you're not, not at the table, you're probably on the menu. And, you know, I think we're at the table. So let's hope uh, our input has taken at face value and that uh, we're able to uh, not have a, a top-down approach, but more of a collaborative approach between industry and government. Lewis is also hopeful that we won't see more government regulation arise from these consultations. Well, I think that's always a risk, and as I say, that's why we're at the table. Uh, farmers have a great story to tell. We've done a lot of this work on our own with, without any government input, and I think we need to uh, have the good work that we've done and continue to do, do to be recognized, and 
We're certainly hoping that there isn't going to be more regulation and we're certainly going to be there to ensure that farmers, if there are new regulations put in place, that uh, they're to the benefit of the industry. And at the same time, fewer regulations are, are really good for our industry and we're, we're hoping to uh, continue with uh, operating the industry like we are at this time. He says farmers can get involved in the conversation. Well, you know, as, uh, as uh, the consultations roll out, I, you know, we're hoping that there'll be uh, chances for individual farmers to uh, put presentations forward, uh, either through a website or, uh, you know, it'll be de- be determined as, as time goes on. Uh, you know, I think we can look to, uh, you know, situations like, you know, the fertilizer strategy, the emission, the emission uh, strategy that the government put forward, uh, it wasn't communicated very well. Farmers pushed back very hard, and I, I think we were fairly successful in, in uh, you know, really educating uh, the government on what farmers do do as far as uh, nitrous oxide emissions and, and fertilizer use. And, for our programming, those kind of things. So I think that's an example that if farmers push back and, and participate in these kind of processes, that we can uh, really make some progress. And really, it's a win-win for everybody when uh, people start to understand what agriculture does do. The federal consultation process on farming sustainability wraps up at the end of March with a new policy in place by the end of next year. It's time now for the livestock market conditions and they're a presentation of the Yorkton Crossing Retirement Village. Livestock Market Conditions. U.S. live cattle futures for February are trading at 157.82. That's up 225. April live cattle trading at 161.35, up 170. January feeder cattle trading at 183.90, that's up 27. March feeder cattle trading at 185.72, up 70. February lean hogs trading at 88.02, that's up 377. April lean hogs trading at 94.90, up 272. And that's the livestock market conditions. The Canola Council of Canada held a webinar Friday to outline the benefits of the 4R Nutrient Stewardship Program. One of the guest speakers was Jason Castleman, an agronomy specialist with the Canola Council of Canada in Peace River, Alberta. He provides clarification on some other Prairie 4R programs, as well as best management practices covered under the canola for our advantage. Across uh, the prairies, we do have uh, a few other off-calf programs that uh, uh, that are available. And so the organizations that uh, here in Alberta, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, that uh, that also have received funding include the uh, Yardar organization in Alberta, as well as the Manitoba Association of Watersheds that covers uh, Manitoba and Saskatchewan, along with the Canola Council that has uh, um, the program availability for for the three provinces, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and Alberta. So the, the best management practices that, that each one of them covers is, uh, is a little bit different. They do have nitrogen management, cover cropping, and rotational grazing with the um, Ardar and the uh, and the watershed organization, but the Canola Council one, the C4A program is uh, is strictly on nitrogen management and covers those best management practices that include soil testing, uh, the use of enhanced efficiency fertilizer products, as well as preferred application and field zone mapping. So right now the um, 
application status for uh, for Ardar. They closed their um, intake on November 7th. And uh, currently, the Manitoba Watershed uh, and uh, the Canola Council program, the C4RA, is, is still open. So right now, as far as the uh, Canola for our Advantage funding, it is a um, an eighty five percent cost share. So whatever the you know the costs that the the grower incurs, then then we're able to provide eighty five percent of that on on two BMPs at a, a cost of six thousand dollars per BMP, up to a maximum of of twelve thousand dollars per farm for each uh, each program year. And so the first step is to have that verified for uh, our plan. And working with that agronomist, so then that gives you the opportunity to participate in the uh, in the four hour advantage. So growers then have to have that uh, stewardship plan that's been verified, and uh, and if you don't, you still can apply for the program. But we do need you know to have that plan completed and verified within six weeks of uh, of the application, and then uh, and then identifying who that four hour designated agronomist is that's uh, that's working with you to complete that that four hour plan. So the BMPs that uh, that are being funded through the uh, Canola for our Advantage program are for uh, soil testing and soil sampling. And so that's the, the sampling and the lab analysis uh, to help uh, optimize those nutrient applications based on your uh, on your soil needs and yield potential. And then as well as the, in the enhanced efficiency fertilizer products. And those are products that are designed to release nitrogen over a longer period of time so that plants can uh, can take them up and that we do have uh, less nitrogen loss to the atmosphere and as well as preferred applications. So uh, if, if there's an opportunity to uh, to ban nitrogen in the soil near seeding time or, or apply nutrients while that canola crop is growing compared to say other types of application of broadcasting in the fall, then, then there is incentive dollars for, for that preferred application timing. And as well as field zone mapping. So any of those consulting services that help growers and you know apply more or less nitrogen in, the, in different zones in the field and so that's going to be based on on what those past management practices some of the yield potential and terrain of the of the field so it's it's giving that chance for you know at least two two different rates of, of nitrogen fertilizer applied applied in that field zone and so you know diving in a little bit deeper on the soil testing so uh, we do have the um, reimbursement of up to 85% of the cost of that basic soil testing package, and um, as well as the uh, third-party soil sampling costs, if, if applicable. And so the test has to be a minimum of, of 12 inches. And because we are testing for, for nitrogen, it's that, that uh, we know that nitrogen can be mobile in the soil, so we want to take into account if it is, uh, is a little bit deeper in the soil. And so we do have an approved list of, of labs that, um, that we're using or that, that farmers can use. And, and those are labs that uh, are using the analytical protocols that are recognized by the Soil Science Society of America. And uh, and then that soil sampling method and criteria does have to be prepared and signed off by your, your for our designated agronomist. It is, you know, just a reminder, it is the basic um, macronutrient lab analysis that's uh, that's being covered. If you do uh, over and above that, that's that's great, but it is just the uh, the basic cost that that's being covered by the program. And it's, uh, you know, just to just to make sure that we're kind of uh, comparing the same for everyone, and so the the enhanced efficiency fertilizer products, those are your your inhibitors or uh, uh, any of those urease inhibitors, the uh, uh, nitrification inhibitors, as as well as the ESN or polymer coated uh, urea products. So those are the uh, products that have active ingredients and formulations that are approved 
um, and have been scientifically tested and, and documented for effectiveness. And so there is a possibility that we could be adding um, more products to the list in future program years. Um, we just have to see that there's been some efficacy and uh, independent testing to demonstrate their, uh, their effectiveness. And so those nitrification and urine yeast inhibitors, uh, they must be used together either as a pre-blended product or, um, or purchased separately and, and blended on farm to, uh, to be an eligible practice. So there's the list. Uh, showing which are the ones that are uh, on the approved list right now. So for preferred application, like I said, it's the uh, uh, the difference between, you know, in the past, if, if the uh, grower has been using uh, fall application and decides, hey, that, you know, there's, there's maybe a little bit more potential for some loss uh, doing that and, and switching to a spring band or, or directly applying that fertilizer to the soil or even a split application where it's uh, uh, applied in crop. And, then there's an opportunity to to get three cents per pound of nitrogen uh, from that fertilizer that switched to, to fall application to to either of these two preferred options, and that's going to be again approved and verified by your your for our designated agronomist. So the field zone mapping for variable rate nitrogen is, you know, including at least two zones for nitrogen application. Your designated agronomist uh, does sign off and uh, on, on what that criteria and the methodology was, as well as uh, verifying that the appropriate nitrogen rates were applied to each zone. And so that's the, uh, you know, to provide incentive using the consulting services to help identify those nitrogen rates for those different field zones and taking into account all of your, your, your various crop management practices in the field. So right now for the uh, eligible costs, it is uh, for the 2022 intake, those uh, eligible expenses must be fully paid by the grower from uh, back in February 7th, 2022, and uh, going forward to March 31st, 2023. And if you wanna find out more about those eligible costs on the four BMPs, we do have a, a QR code that does uh, provide a link to the uh, Canola Council website that, uh, that highlights the Canola for our Advantage program. Jason Castleman is an agronomy specialist with the Canola Council of Canada in Peace River, Alberta. Please stay tuned. Your Commodities Update is coming up next. Commodities Update. Canola futures are trading up across the board right now. January canola trading at 862.40. That's up $3.80. March canola trading at 858.80, up $4.60. March Minneapolis wheat trading at 923 and three quarters, up seven and three quarters of a cent. March Kansas City wheat trading at 860 per bushel, up 13 cents. March Chicago wheat trading at 768 and three quarters, that's up 18 and a quarter cents. March corn trading at 660 and a half, up eight and a half cents. January soybeans trading at 14.79 and a half, up one cent. March oats trading at 3.46 and a half, up ten cents. And that's the commodities update. Farm Credit Canada's chief economist speculates interest rates have reached their peak after a series of hikes this year. J.P. Gervais is projecting the rate hikes have plateaued and will remain at that level for most of 2023. 
He reflects on 2022 and the farm economy. Well, I believe that it's hard to argue that overall inflation is the number one topic when it comes to one of the biggest economic drivers of the entire year. But inflation shows up in in many different ways. It has lots of different nuances as well, right? So on the one side of the equation, if you look at operations, the farm operations in the profit, uh, profitability in 2022, things were fairly positive. In high commodity prices, we got some some good yields as well in 2022, as opposed to the year that the disastrous that we had in, in 2021. So overall, I mean, revenues are very strong. And so we're looking at some, some significant increases in 2022 and part of the crop in 2021 will be marketed in 2023. So the outlook for gross revenues in this context of high inflation and so forth has been positive. And I think it shows up as, as, as fairly positive, cautious optimism for 2023. Now, the other part of, of the inflation story is, is all about the higher interest rates. Uh, and of course, we've had our uh, significant, we've seen significant increases in the Bank of Canada when it, uh, interest rates, and that turned out to uh, raise borrowing costs for farm operations. So that's one thing. And then the second thing is the high input cost that we've had for most of the year in 2022. And on that basis, I do think that we expect maybe a bit more of the same uh, for 2023 in the sense that, you know, we're still going to have uh, input costs being elevated. Interest rates are not going to be coming down until the very end of 2023 in our uh, in our analysis, so overall, I think we're 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 looking at the profitability that might be a little bit challenged in in 2023 for some sectors of the economy. He also speculates on the livestock sector. Well, I, I think that for the livestock sector, it all depends on the strength of demand. I mean, we've had some significant inflationary pressures for consumers at the retail level in 2022, and historically. The red meat sector, if you think of, of pork and beef, those sectors have been some of the most sensitive when it comes to the overall broader economy uh, or, or co- economic context. So I'm thinking, for example, the likelihood of a recession in Canada in early 2023, uh, perhaps as well some of the, the tighter income outlook that, that will materialize for consumers because they face high inflation as well as you know wages that are still going up but not necessarily at the same rate of inflation. They have to account for higher interest rate. So maybe that's the watch out for livestock sectors because otherwise, you know, if you look at what's going on in the U.S., we've had uh, supply on the supply side in the U.S. I think things might actually be supportive for prices in the North American livestock sector. So I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic, but I, we do think that uh, the strength of demand both domestically as well in export markets is really going to uh, drive the entire year, whether or not this is going to be a positive year for the livestock sector. Gervais believes interest rates have now plateaued. Yeah, I think we were, we're projecting that the bank will stop raising interest rates and that uh, they'll plateau at this level, but for some for some time, right? So I don't think that because we anticipate an economic slowdown in early 2023, whether or not this is a recession, we'll see. But at the end of the day, there will be a, an economic slowdown in Canada. Don't expect, though that the Bank of Canada rate will decline in the early part of 2023. Actually, we think that they will stay pretty much where it's at right now for most of 2023. And because the financial markets are always forward-looking, right, the expectations from the financial market standpoint is pretty much the same. So we've seen the five-year bond, uh, the five-year mortgage rates come down as well, you know, because of so the anticipation that those Bank of Canada rates will plateau. So basically what you're seeing right now in terms of interest rates in the marketplace 
might be what you're saying for most of the year in 2023. So I think it gives a little bit of uh, a little bit of guidance to operations in terms of choosing whether or not to go short term, long term when it comes to. Uh, you know, renewing loans and, and setting the interest rates for the next little while here. So it gives a little bit of guidance to expect that here. Yeah, interest rates will have plateaued, and but don't expect rates to come down. That's J.P. Gervais. He is the chief economist with Regina-based Farm Credit Canada. Please stay tuned. GX on Agriculture will return right after this. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. I'm Doug Falconer. A resolution to increase the producer checkoff was passed unanimously at last Wednesday's Canary Seed Development Commission of Saskatchewan annual general meeting. Pending approval by the Provincial Agri-Food Council, the levy will go from the current $1.75 a ton up to $2.50 a ton, effective August 1st of 2023. Meantime, canary seed producers were updated on a situation involving levies from the last crop year. Kevin Hirsch is the executive director of the Canary Seed Development Commission of Saskatchewan. We're mystified as to why the export numbers are not lining up with the levy collected. In past years, you know, exports go up or down a little bit, but levy always follows what the export numbers say. In the year ending July 31st, export numbers were actually up substantially, but our levy collection was down substantially. And we can't explain it from timing issues coming in and out of the fiscal year. We can't uh, explain it from commercial stocks that were being held and then hit the export market. It doesn't seem to make any sense at all. Uh, Production in Alberta and Manitoba exists, but is very small. And we can't believe that is the reason for uh, the discrepancy either. So it's something we continue to monitor, but we're really struggling to figure out why those numbers are now diverging and whether the export reporting is wrong or whether somehow we're missing levy that's not being paid. He says the funding differential is significant. Compared to the export numbers and, and how we've usually tracked against them, we could easily be missing sixty or seventy thousand dollars, which in a total budget of two hundred to two hundred and fifty thousand, two hundred and fifty is what we usually budgeted per levy collection every year. Now we're budgeting two hundred because of this discrepancy. So that's a, in a, a small commission, that's a sizable percentage difference. That's Kevin Hirsch, the executive director of the Canary Seed Development Commission of Saskatchewan. Farm Bulletin Board. The 2023 Saskatchewan Pulse Growers Winter Pulse Meetings are coming up. They will be excited to have everyone together again. You can register now beginning February 2nd. The Pulse Growers will host four events along with an exciting panel of presenters. You can join them in person in four different communities and with the option to join virtually for the Regina meeting. So the Regina meeting is Thursday, February 2nd. Then there will be a meeting in Assiniboia Thursday, February 9th, in Elrose on Thursday, February 16th, and in Melfort on Thursday, March 2nd. So that's the Saskatchewan Pulse Growers Winter Pulse Meetings coming up in February and March of next year. 
And that's all the time we have for today's Farm Bulletin Board. It's coming up on 1 o'clock. That means it's time to check the GX94 Precision Weather Forecast for the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Moosom, and Indian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions. An extreme cold warning is in effect for today. Cloudy with a 40% chance of flurries. Winds north-northwest at 15 to 25, a high of minus 23 and a wind chill of minus 34. For tonight, cloudy, a 40% chance of flurries up to 2 centimeters possible. Winds north-northwest at 15 to 25, a low of minus 26, a wind chill of minus 38. For tomorrow, partly to mainly cloudy, winds north-northwest at 15 to 30, a high of minus 23 with a wind chill of minus 35, and a low tomorrow night of minus 30. For Friday, sunny, winds west-northwest at 10 to 20, a high of minus 24, a wind chill of minus 34. For Christmas Eve, Saturday, partly sunny, a high of minus 23, and for Christmas Day Sunday, a 20% chance of flurries and a high of minus 19. In the Paw and Swan River, it's minus 24 degrees. Dauphin is at minus 23. Brandon, Show Lake Russell, minus 25. Roblin and Regina, minus 27. Saskatoon is at minus 30. Hudson Bay, minus 25. Broadview Mooseman, minus 26. Indian Head, minus 27. Winyard Wadena Kelvington, minus 28. The Yorkton Melville region has light snow, a west northwest wind at 18 kilometers an hour. 69% is the relative humidity. The temperature is minus 26 degrees. With the wind chill, it feels more like minus 37 degrees. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for GX on Agriculture for today. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 12.15 for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines.